Theology Gals, episode 25, Complementarianism. Knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals. This is episode 25 and we're going to be talking about complementarianism in just a little bit. We don't have a guest this week. It'll just be Ashley and I. Ashley, we've kind of been more active on Twitter this week. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, Twitter is like a whole another world. (laughs) I have to admit it's taken me about six months to understand how to even communicate on Twitter. Um, It's a weird, it's totally different. I'm used to Facebook. I really am. It's totally weird. Yeah. I heard Um, someone say like Twitter's Twitter's for older people and yeah, or something like that. I forget exactly what the exact quote was. Yeah. But no, it's, it's been fun. Um, Lots of, uh, Lots of gifts. I asked a I asked a question, uh, a serious question, and uh, but I got a bunch of like funny like gifts and responses. So, yeah, I did see I, I did see one tweet this week that caught my interest, and I wanted to ask you what you thought of it. Desiring God, which is John Piper's ministry, asked, "Should parents stick to the Bible when teaching their children, or is it okay to use resources such as?" A catechism. Right. And that kind of jumped out at me. I, I'd love to hear yeah. what you think about that. Well, I think it's I think it's a great question. We did address it a little bit. I think we addressed well catechism and confession on our catechism and confession <laughs> episode, what it is, what it's not, you know, why it's helpful. And I think we talked a little bit about catechizing our children on the motherhood episode. Hmm. But I think now, and I think we said this on the other episode, where the first time I heard about catechism, like Protestants doing catechism, isn't that Catholic? <laughs> but I I have found it so helpful. Well, first of all, just to say, it, the catechism is based on scripture. And it's very helpful. So I'll just give an example. The first three questions of the children's catechism, who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. And so when my child, my children were less than two years old, I could ask them, who made you? And they would say, God. And I find it to be really, really, really helpful in in so many things in them understanding theology. And of course, they memorize scripture also. We we go through the catechism and the scripture and family worship. So it's not just the catechism. But I think it's I think it's very helpful because it is based on scripture. You know, we do Sunday. Nobody has problems with Sunday school lessons based on scripture mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that. So I'm not sure why catechism would, would be a problem. We are not substituting scripture. We are not. I've I saw uh, sometimes see this accusation that reformed people put put the catechism and confessions above God's word. I don't think that's true at all. I think it's some people's perception in not understanding our view of the catechism and confession. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not higher. It's I mean God's word is the foundation for everything that we do. Yeah. You know, I 
I think there's like this in the evangelical world, this just skepticism of anything that, okay, this is going to sound really critical. Um, just a skepticism of things that come from tradition. Right. You know, if that's like a modern, like my generation, um, your generation, just kind of like, if it's, if it's from tradition, like it, I'm skeptical of it, you know, I kind of want to avoid that in the word catechism. Um, I can understand that because before, like four years ago, I probably would have balked at the idea of using a catechism. So, yeah, well, and I think that now, especially in modern evangelicalism, is this very idea that our faith is is first and foremost a very personal thing, and there is a actually low view of the church. Mm -hmm. And I saw somebody say something. I don't have it in front of me, but they were talking about confession catechism on Twitter and someone said something about the people that put down the confession, but they have a statement of faith at their church. And mm -hmm. that really is, we don't have statement of, a statement of faith nope. beside it. This tells what we believe about God's word, about the Trinity, about salvation, you know, about the things that we believe about the sacraments. And, and it's a it's a statement of faith, if you will, that's been around for four hundred years, you know. So yeah. it's it's helpful to have one that's been around that long yeah. and been used by so many different, not even just Presbyterians, like lots of people have used, you know, the Westminster and the the Heidelberg and, and right. all those. And so. the other thing I was thinking too is, you know, denominations do have since the time that the Westminster was written, have gone and said, you know what, we're not sure we agree with this part. We think maybe it needs to be changed to this. And mm -hmm. so it's not, it's not like set in stone. You can, you can never touch them. They're just, they're so perfect. We're never going to touch them. Unlike God's word, God's word is God's word. We don't change yeah. God's word. But there have been times, I think, even in our own denominations, that reformed denominations, where they have gone to General Assembly and said, you know, and talked about, I think we might need to change this wording right here. We're not sure it really accurately represents what God's word says. So, well, even when uh, the Presbyterian Church came to the United States early on, they changed things. Like there's an American version of the Westminster because they changed it because the British had a different view of the magisterium because of how and when it was written. So I thought that was really interesting. I think it's chapter 27 is different in the American Presbyterian Church than than in the British one. So, well, anyways, I, you know, I asked that question knowing what the answer, <laughs> knowing what your answer was already. But um, I just noticed, I mean, I, I saw them ask that on Twitter and I feel like the answers were pretty split. Some people were like, I would never use a catechism and scripture alone. And then other people were like, as long as it's a catechism based on scripture, there's no issue. Um, well, really honest here about something, and I did talk about it in the Mother's Day episode, but I have a child who has left the church who is not a Christian. But you know what? He remembers the catechism. And, you know, I do pray that the Lord will use that some way in his life to remind him of what is true. He also knows a lot of scripture. And he mm -hmm. knows what the scripture teaches. So I just had an interesting discussion with him. This is just kind of funny. A side note. He was sitting here with me. He's he's my son. He turns 21 very soon. And he was he was sitting with me while I was editing the podcast. And so he, being young and more creative probably than me, said, I think you need to change some things about the podcast. Give <laughs> <So, laughs> me some different suggestions. Yeah. Which I'll take, which I'll take. Yeah, I, I think theological. That. Yeah. <laughs> Style and stuff. Yeah. And this is all very new to me. I didn't know anything about recording a podcast or editing it. We had mm -hmm. my son's friend living with us when we started the podcast and he said, oh, I know Audacity, which is what I use to edit. I'll teach it to you. And so yeah. it's been kind of a whole new yeah. experience. <laughs> so, well, I'm excited to get to our topic. So I'm thinking we will go to a commercial and we will come back and talk complementarianism. And this is going to be 
And I do want to say this, and I told Ashley this, we're going to have to do more than one episode on this because as I researched, I just thought there's so much here. We cannot get it all in one episode. And so it's going to be really more of an introduction to complementarianism. And we are going to answer some questions that came from our group. So we will be right back. Striving for Eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference. August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseboro. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the charismatic gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to the Conversations from the port. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Ten podcasts, one network. Check them out. BibleThumpingWingnut.com. So, Ashley, are you ready to dive into complementarianism? Yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> there's like, I think there's a lot of... of kind of misconceptions about what it looks uh -huh. like, what it is. And I wanted to bring up, before we even kind of define it and stuff, I had listened to Amy Bird talk on it on a different podcast. And they had, I think they had asked her, somehow it got to, you know, what do you think of the Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood? Which, you know, if you don't know, John Piper and Wayne Grudem, they wrote the complementarian Bible, so to speak, or mm -hmm. they edited it because it's got, I've read it. It's got, I have it. Yeah. It's got several contributors and, mm -hmm. and, and I think she said it so well, and I, I won't remember verbatim what she said, but she said that they have a lot that is good, hmm. but concerns me. She didn't say concerns me, but that I'm just going to say from my, my view, I would say the same thing. And she gave some examples of that. And the other thing is she talked about kind of how, you know, when you ask someone if they're complement, if they're complementarian, different people have different ideas of what it means. And so there's even been some kind of debate, like, is this even the best word anymore? Right. And one of the big things we're going to get into is some people have a more patriarchal view that's not right. really consistent with historic complementarianism. They're throwing it into the same camp. So well, let's let's define our our terms. Yeah, um, just, I'm sure I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the terms complementarian and egalitarian. So those are the two for those that aren't aware. Those two kind of stand in opposition. Where an egalitarian believes that men and women are there's no uh, authority or submissive role. Men and women are just on an equal playing field um, in terms of like the family structure. And, and in I, terms of the church. And in terms of the church. Uh, I mean, I, I, know, I know people who claim to be egalitarian who don't think women should be pastors, <clears throat> but I know a lot of people who are egalitarian who have no problem with a woman being pastor. So there, there's a lot of issues with that side of things. Um, and then, you know, on the other side is complementarian, which is what Colleen was mentioning, where we think God ordered, ordered things in a certain way. He gave men and women different, different roles. Um, and man is supposed to be the leader 
um, of the home and woman is supposed to um, be in submission to the leader of the home. And even as I say the word submission, I can just think of how like our society would react if they hear that word. Um, you know, it just sounds like, I mean, in our day and age, it just sounds like a dirty word, like, oh, like people would just recoil. Um, but we, we think it's actually a really beautiful thing. And it's, who are we to say like how God ordered things? Like, who are we to like reject that and say, oh, we don't like that in our, in our modern sensibilities, you know, certainly, certainly Paul meant that then, but you know, it doesn't apply now. No, we think if God ordered it that way, that he ordered it that way. And it's not, it's not something we should, we should balk at. But Colleen, like you mentioned, like when I first learned about complementarianism five years ago, because I didn't learn about it growing up in the church, um, I just knew it as one, just one thing, complementarianism. You know, that's people who believe, you know, there's different roles for men and women. And like you said, it's evolved a bit where if you say complementarian to one person, that could mean something different than it does to another person. So it's not just a black and white thing. There's kind of some gray and there's, you know, there's within the complementarian camp that I guess we're in, there's different viewpoints. And so we're, we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to read just, I looked up some different definitions and you know, one that I just want to kind of read. And I don't even think I can actually agree with all of it, but I'm going to read it anyways. And this is from Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And this is their definition. I agree with most of it, but I'll explain where I think we need to be careful. But male and female were created by God as equal in dignity, value, essence, and human nature, but also distinct in role, whereby the male was given the responsibility of loving authority over the female, and the female was to offer willing, glad-hearted, and submissive assistance to the man. Genesis 1, 26 20 through 27 makes clear that male and female are equally created as in, as God's image, and so are by God's created design, equally and fully human. But as Genesis 2 bears out, as seen as in its own context, and as understood by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, their humanity would find expression differently in a relationship of complementarity with the female functioning in a submissive role under the leadership and authority of the male. And before I go on just to talk about that a little bit, I want to make clear we're not talking about complement like Ashley, you look nice today, but, but compliment, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> which is <laughs> something that completes or makes perfect. So it's, it's two different things. And so the thing, the thing that's really going to kind of change, that's going to offer two sides to people that would consider them comp themselves complementarian is that I would say that I am under the authority of my husband and my church but I do not believe I'm under the authority of every man. And yeah. that's where you get a little bit to some more extreme views, maybe even patriarchy. And I'm not sure it makes that distinction in that definition that I made right there. It almost sounds like every female is under the authority of every male. Yes, which we do not think is a biblical understanding of complementarianism. We accept that I, you and I both are under the authority of our husbands and our pastors and our churches, but I'm not under the authority of my male neighbor or boss or, well, boss, I guess that's a little different, but, you know, of, of uh, you know, uh, my male coworker, my, you know, uh, that's, that's not what we're saying. Right. And that, and that needs to be clear. One thing I have noticed from some egalitarians that they criticize the complementarian view is one thing I've noticed from them is they they kind of put all into into the same category. And the thing is we just aren't. We're we're different. We are we are different mm -hmm. in you know, in how we see this. It that is a big difference between well, you know, I should bring up right remember we talked to Rachel about this and she said they would that some of them would say, well, we don't really mean that all women have to submit to all men, but in all of these contexts, they essentially do. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think that there's going to be different extremes even within that. So I wanted to mention, yeah, mention that too. Well, and I think this comes into play even when I've seen people ask questions, 
my husband or not my husband my boyfriend is making this decision and he wants to go to this church and he wants me to go with him and i think i need to submit to him and we are all like whoa you are not under authority of your boyfriend like i'm sorry like i i hope you guys are working towards marriage but you are not under the authority of your boyfriend if you get married then yes you're under the authority of your husband but do not submit to someone who is not your husband. He has not been given that role yet. Um, right. And so I feel like we might get an email about that. But <laughs> um, but that's kind of what's happening there is it's I, you know, people feel like if they're a man, then you have to in some way submit or I don't know. It's it's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Of course, we should be respectful. Of, mm -hmm. of anyone and not and the, and we're talking two different things here too we're actually we're actually talking three different things we're talking the home we're talking the church and then we're talking out you know out in the world mm -hmm. and you know you, there are some views that even in the workplace like a woman should not have certain jobs because she might have to exercise authority over a man you know like for you Ashley they some people would say you shouldn't have a male teaching assistant that you tell what to do that you have mm. authority over yeah yeah that that's silly yeah <laughs> so somebody someone asked in our group because I did post in our group and we're gonna touch on a few of those things as we go along but somebody asked in the group you know what's the history of the word huh. so what we believe about being under the authority of our husbands and submitting to our husbands and all that this none of this is new i mean it it actually goes all the way back to creation so okay. none of that is new but the word is new complementarianism is new and i found one website i'm just going to read what it says i don't i think that it's probably pretty close to to accurate well okay so she basically says that it was a word kind of made up by some scholars probably 25 to 30 years ago. So the, but what we do know is the word itself is new. The ideas aren't, but I think that some people thought we need a word to distinguish ourselves from people who are becoming more liberal, right. especially as a lot of churches and ideas under people who call themselves Christians. I believe. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, kind of a new, a newer word, but not a new idea. Right. And I, I like that word. I mean, compliment, I mean, it's kind of like talking about when, you know, when these, when we're living out our roles that God's given us, we do compliment each other, like in marriage, like a man and a wife compliment each other in his leadership and her submission. You know, it, right. I, I, I like the word. I mean, even though it's, uh, like we said, become not as clear today, I think it's a yeah. good word. Yeah. The two together make this thing that God has created. And, and that's what we mean when we say they complement one another. They, they create this beautiful thing that God has created. I was just going to say, I think that's a good point of, um, at least in opposition to the, the egalitarian kind of like feminist movement that wants to say like men and like th that really, really, really wants women to be the exact same as men. It's just not possible. God did not create women to be the exact same as men. We're just different. And that's not a bad thing. Right. And, and I think the, the, the feminist movement, I mean, has really, it's really like seeped into a lot of the church where, you know, it's seen as a bad thing to be submissive and to be a help me and um, even to be emotional and sensitive and, you know, typical qualities that are, you know, we would somewhat consider feminine, you know, are seen as bad things because we're trying, you know, the feminist movement wants us to be the exact same as our male counterparts. And that's just not how God designed us, you know, right. And we can't force that because that's, that's not how our creator wants us to be. And, and it's important to note that it's it's not that men are better than women we are equal as as image bearers of god but god created us different so it's not and there's it's not a hierarchy either that's the other thing i think is a big misconception that there's this hierarchy that it goes you know god husband wife but that's that's not that's also not how it works and that may be one of the more 
extreme views within complementarianism and and probably plays into that all you know women need to essentially submit to all men right because there's this higher hierarchy that's they believe god created so we want to talk about some misconceptions right about complementarianism um so i have a question colleen uh you've been married for 23 years 20 22 22 years, years. In, yeah in two weeks my okay 22nd anniversary <clears throat> for these last 22 years have you been oppressed horribly <laughs> And those who know my husband know why I'm laughing. <laughs> no, I know you have a wonderful husband. Um, so yeah. that's one of the things we've actually heard very recently is if you are in a uh, a marriage that is complementarian, that you are oppressed, whether you know it or not. I didn't know that I was oppressed, and you certainly didn't know that you were oppressed. Yeah. <laughs> that was news to me. Um, so I think what, what, what do you have to say about that misconception, Colleen? Well, I think I first need to say that it can happen in the more extreme views and my husband and I have seen it. In fact, I mean, there was a situation where my husband went and confronted a young man because, you know, he's kind of like, this is not how this works. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you're not controlling your wife and all things and lording over her. Right. And I, I'm just very grateful for just, I mean, I think of it almost daily for, well, I know I think of it daily, how grateful I am for my husband. And when it works the way that God created it, it is actually a wonderful, wonderful thing. I submit to my husband, but it's not because he's cracking the whip and telling me, you know, submit woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's a wonderful thing. I. I find so much comfort. One thing I've learned and I'm just so grateful for is that my husband is a wise man. And I'm and I know people are going to ask this question. So I'm going to give actually an example. A couple of years ago, we were making a decision about a huge purchase. And he had a certain idea about it and I really thought I just think he's completely wrong. I think my <laughs> idea is so the right way. And like I felt very strongly about this too. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went to him and I said, you know, this is why I think we actually need to buy this one. You know, I think it's better for our family. I think it's, you know, all of these different things. And and he said, okay, well, I'll consider what you have to say, but I I really think that this other one is, is just gonna be more practical. And I'll be honest, it was when we were shopping for motorhome. <laughs> so let's be straight honest on that. And and I really had my heart set on this other thing. He on on one model, he had his heart set on another model. And finally I just said, you know what? I will respect whatever you decide. And and I and I did, I had to really pray though, because <laughs> I could outwardly act like I respected it. I did not actually respect him very much. Like if he had come home with that, I would have probably been like, I don't know about this. <laughs> but, you know, he went and looked at one that he thought and he called me and he said, I think you're right. And but the thing that I didn't do is say, see, I told you so. You know, right. I did respect. I did respect. Now, we didn't get my version either. It actually ended up being kind of an in between and the Lord just opened the doors and got an amazing deal and stuff. But so I think that too is that sometimes you can have a decision. You can say, okay, I'm going to respect your decision, honey. I'm going to submit to what you want. But inside, you're not really feeling very submissive. And mm -hmm. there is prayer that is necessary. Yeah. Because you can also become bitter at your husband if you act outwardly like, okay, fine, we'll just do it. Saying fine, we'll do whatever you want is actually not submissive. submission. <laughs> that, that's actually not what submission looks like. And, and, and the other thing is too, is some women have pretty, some women find themselves in situations, and this has been talked about in our group, where you have a very strong woman with a more passive man. And it can be easy sometimes you know, to take advantage of that. I know in my, in my own marriage, my husband is just the most kind man I know. And he is a, he, he's a wonderful leader and he does it with such love and grace. At the same time, I could sometimes take advantage of his, his grace and kindness. 
I've seen too, um, just I've only been married three years, but I've seen that it, you know, even in those situations where I'm like, oh, I just really disagree with you. Like, I think you're making the wrong decision. I always look back and realize that husbands are able to see things sometimes that their wives just can't see because they've been given um, the role of protector and provider. They're able to see situations in a way that, you know, we're not necessarily seeing them. doesn't mean our husbands are always right, but they just have um, more perspective. And I, I know I've seen that a lot with my husband where he just is able to see the big picture and able to see, you know, down the road, like, cause he, he, he takes that role of I'm your protector and provider. And he takes that very seriously. Um, and so I think sometimes when I, you know, when I disagree or something, um, I'm able to, um, stop and go, you know what, there's, there's, there's aspects of this that I'm just not seeing the way he's seeing, um, because it's not, not necessarily my role, you know? And I did want to say we are, you know, Colleen and I are joking a little bit about, are you oppressed only because a long story. We, we had a laugh about that, but, um, yeah, there we, is well, somebody wrote something on somebody Facebook wrote, yeah, and somebody said, wrote something. complimentarian women are absolutely oppressed. There's, there's no wiggle room. They are oppressed. I mean, and that's pretty much what it we, said. As much as we kind of laughed at that, I do want to say there are there are dark corners of even the Reformed Church where women are being oppressed by their husband because their husbands have taken on this. They've distorted scripture to mean I can lord over the, you know, rule with like an authoritarian rule over my home. And we're not laughing at that. Um, that's no. We think that is awful. We think it's a distortion of scripture and that pastors should be, if, if there are families in that situation, pastors should be stepping in and working with those men and counseling them um, to not lord um, their authority over their wives. So I think there's this caricature of complementarianism that that's how all complementarian marriages are, you know, and, and the, the truth is that those marriages do exist, which is really sad and unfortunate, but that's not, that's not how all marriages are. And it's definitely not what the Lord intended when he set up, you know, these, these different roles for men and women. Yeah. And when you were talking about what the Lord has given your husband, Ashley, I think that, and that is the thing that I, when I was saying my husband has this wisdom about so many things, it, it really is just so, so true, you know, where they do have that, a different perspective. And like you said, it does not mean that they're always right. Sometimes the Lord is teaching them something. They may make a wrong decision and mm -hmm. the Lord, you know, Lord willing, he uses that, uses that in their lives. And I also wanted to say regarding there is abuse even in Reformed churches. Sadly, I have seen it myself. I know I, I know of a few situations where the wife was being physically abused and there's other kinds of abuse that exists also. And we did an episode on abuse in the church. And I, I do wanna just say that we absolutely believe if you are a wife in that situation, you need to go to your pastor please go to your pastor. If you're being physically abused, you need to also go to the authorities. We do believe that the civil authorities should step in when laws mm -hmm. are being broken. Right. So I wanted to definitely throw yeah. that in. Let's look at some other uh, misconceptions. So we talked about it's oppressive, which we said it can happen, but uh, should not be happening. Um, that's not how God intended. So some might say that complementarianism means that you believe men are better than women. So I'm guessing what we mean when we say that is you think men have more value than women do. So when we say when we say men and women have different roles, we're not saying well since man is leading, they're more important, they have greater value. Um, we're actually saying men and women both have immense value. You know, they're made in God's image. And so we're not, just because someone has a different role, that was huge for me because this was a new concept to me when I became a Christian. Um, just because we're saying 
two people have different roles does not mean we're saying the leader's role is of greater value and they are of greater value. Um, and I think that's, that's just a misconception. And I think it's kind of sad that the feminist movement has made, made out submission and being like a helper to your husband as, as an ugly thing, you know, but that's, that's, you know, what is it? First Corinthians when it's like the, the wisdom of the world is foolishness and, we can't be surprised, you know, that right. the world makes makes God's God's view of marriage out to be a mockery. We that shouldn't shock us because, you know, that's what the world does. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? They, our differences not only in in the roles that were created, but so many of our differences right from creation. No matter how hard a man tries, he simply cannot have a baby. You know, God. <laughs> God made women to bear children and to to be able to nurse their children. And if you are a mom, you know that as parents, and this is another part where you can actually see the beauty of what God created, is that mom has a different role than dad. I, I do have to share, my son shared with me, he was about seven. He's gonna sound like very chauvinistic, but he said, Mommies are for cleaning the kitchen and daddies are for fun. <laughs> so I promise that's not from scripture. <laughs> that's and, really funny. And we are not. The other thing is that I think some of the more extreme views would say, you know, men should never clean the house. Men should never cook. Men should never that there is. And someone said in our group, and I think this is a good thing. It's not a list of it's not a list of rules. And if, you know, we talk about in this idea almost that man is better, then you got a woman is doing all those other things because she's underneath. And we don't we don't believe that. I mean, I assume, Ashley, that you and your husband probably share responsibilities in your home because we, do. we both work. Yeah, we both work. So my husband does dishes, I do dishes, we both do laundry, yep. Yeah, it's not, um, there isn't a list of, in, in scripture of, okay, so the wife submits and does the laundry and does the dishes and cooks because I actually have friends that their husbands love to cook and their husbands do all the cooking. Like that's not wrong. That's not like not masculine or something. Yeah. My boys can all cook very well. And I think especially my son Ian will probably when he gets married will may be the one that cooks primarily if his wife doesn't cook. And my kids make dinner all the time. And another misconception that, you know, I didn't write down is that complementarianism is just, you know, 1950s way of doing things, Ozzie and Harriet or leave it to Beaver. Right. You know, that that's not what it's about. Yeah. It's not, it's not as if uh, the Bible uh, adopted a, a way of doing things from the 1950s. Um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I think the argument is usually because I was just looking at first Peter three, where it says wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And then later on, it says for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. People will, so people will read that and think, well, there's no way that applies to today. That was just a cultural, you know, and I think that's a bad way to read the Bible, <laughs> you know, just to say like this principle that we see not just in first Peter three, but throughout scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply to today. I guess I, I would argue do you get, if someone is egalitarian in saying that, I would argue, do you get your truth from scripture or do you get your truth from what society deems normal? And if you're getting your truth from society, which is, you know, what, what you're doing in that situation, you need to really think about that because there are like, okay, I'm going to go down a road. So, you know, with the whole abortion argument, how people will say, well, it's the law and you need to submit to the law. And it's like, well, let's think back to like the 1850s and what were the laws then about, you know, slavery and things like, 
you can't just look to your country, to your society, your modern society, and say, well, what the laws are now, what the, the way society is going now, that's how it should be because it changes. You know, it's like the tossing of the waves, the morality of our culture. And so don't look to society to get your morality. Look to scripture. That's, yeah, well, that's I'm on my soapbox there a little bit. So well, and when scripture, when our society is wrong, scripture overrides that. You know, right. and abortion is a very good example. Abortion is murder. It is murder. It might be legal in our land, but it is absolutely murder. Mm-hmm. Right. Because God, God says it is. And the other thing, you know, and you're talking about cultural. This was not. These were not cultural ideas that we find, you know, in, in Timothy and in, in Corinthians and in other places in scripture that husband is to have authority in his home and a wife is to submit or that a woman is not to be a pastor. She's, she's to remain quiet in the church. These were not cultural things. Yeah. And that's, that's why we still believe them, even though I think egalitarians often argue that they were cultural. I'm not, I don't want to be like a pragmatist. Like I think we, we, we submit to our husbands because that's how, that's what's commanded of us as women. But I do look at marriages around me and look at the, I mean, the loving marriages I see where the man is leading and the wife is submitting and it just works, you know? And that's not, I'm not, I'm not a pragmatist. I want to be clear. That's not why we do it because it works. Um, we do it because of scripture, but it does, you know, I, I look at these marriages that have lasted 50 years and the woman is lovingly submitting and the man is lovingly leading. And, um, it just looks so different from marriages outside the church or even marriages inside the church, um, where they're not following God's order. Um, wouldn't you say, Colleen, have you seen that as you look around? Oh, absolutely. And on the, on the marriages that there is oppression, that they are not being biblical, I will tell you that husband is not loving his wife as Christ loved the church Mm -hmm. because that right there is part of this right here. A husband is not cracking the whip saying, you know, obey woman. He is lovingly leading because he is loving her as Christ loved the church. Right. Why don't we get into, do you want to talk about thin complementarianism that we were talking about before? Sure. So sure, we can talk about that. And I do just quickly want to say a lot of times there are these accusations, thin complementarianism, it is this is not something that someone calls themselves. It is or they might call themselves it, but more often than not, it is an accusation, right. an unkind accusation. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we're, we've pretty much recorded this whole thing saying, you know, we support complementarianism, we're for it, but we mean that in, in what we think is the biblical meaning of that term. And as we mentioned earlier in the episode, there are different shades of complementarianism, so to speak, where people I really respect, I listen to, I read their blogs are almost saying, you know, let's not use this word anymore. And then there's often this accusation of from those people that, oh, you're a thin complementarian or even you're a feminist. I've seen that too, Um, which is such a dirty word in the, you know, that's, that's how, if you want to discredit someone, it's like, oh, well, you're just, you're a feminist, um, which I assure you, Colleen and I are not um, very, very anti. Uh, yeah, except apparently there was a little bit of an accusation that believing what we do about ESS is forwarding the feminist agenda. Right. So we have been called feminists. One time so far. Which is crazy <laughs> because I have, you know, friends and family num- members that are very passionate feminists and they do not want me. <laughs> That's right. Same, same here. What, what I believe about marriage and gender roles and stuff, trust me, the feminist movement does not want me. <laughs> you know? So I think it's kind of comical that we were called feminists. But, you know, Ashley, I think sometimes the accusation of them complementarian is coming from some of the more extreme views. And I have seen, and I even talked to Rachel about it. Uh, I saw somebody wrote something against her that she was wrong for criticizing a minister of the word or an elder in a church. And, you know, these accusations against her and Amy Bird as being feminist and egalitarian. And it's it's just not 
that's not correct about either of them. And it's very disappointing when I hear they have been very, very, I can tell you the egalitarians would not want them. They are very <laughs> strong that, that women should not be pastors. They're very strong about a husband mm -hmm. and wife's roles, about roles in the church. Right. But because you don't agree with their version of complementarianism, um, you must be a feminist is basically what I'm hearing. You know what, Ashley, I have some questions from the group and I thought maybe we could answer. This is, I think, a, a very good and important one. And how being a submissive wife doesn't mean you, okay, so she's saying we should talk about how being a submissive wife doesn't mean you shouldn't confront him if he's in sin, doesn't mean you should allow him to abuse you. It doesn't mean you have to think exactly the same as him doesn't mean you have to submit to every man. Okay, this so great. Thank you, Emily, for those. This this is really important. I'm going to take one at a time. Sure. If your husband is in sin, you are both in the church. Matthew 18 applies even to your husband. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who was in a situation, her husband was in sin, and she thought it was wrong to confront him, and it got so bad, she finally talked to her pastor, and he said, nope we do Matthew 18, you know, and mm -hmm. she, she went through that process. So it's not okay for you just to sit back when your husband is in unrepentant sin. Yep. If he's a member of the church, you, you deal with it like you would anyone else in the church in that. Mm -hmm. yep. Of course, we touched on the abuse episode. Submitting to him does not mean letting him abuse you. Yeah. And I will just say again, if you're being physically abused, you tell your pastor and you tell the authorities that mm -hmm. is not okay. Yeah. And then I think this is a really important one because there was a discussion in the group this week that actually touched on, touched on this. And it says, doesn't mean you have to think exactly the same as him. And what happened in the group is a woman said, she was not putting down her husband. She was asking for thoughts on an article. She said, my husband and I disagree. And somebody said, well, if your husband thinks that, then why are we even talking about it? So kind of this idea, you need to just think like your husband thinks. Hmm. So Ashley, do you agree with your husband on everything? No. In fact, we've had some really lively political discussions in the last six months. That we're, is the only thing my husband and I disagree on. Politics? <laughs> politics yeah. Well, we're pretty close. Thing. We're pretty close, but there are some key differences that we go back and forth and then we go, eh, we don't agree, but it's, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not anything that's, you know, going to cause division or anything. Um, I think, I think marriage would be so boring if we thought the same all the time. Your husband hasn't said to you, Ashley, submit and you must agree with me. Because that would be uh, he's impressive. never, never said that. He's never been like, submit. Uh, yeah, that just doesn't sound like my husband at all. I don't think my husband would would want me just to embrace all of his views just because I should. Now, I respect his views. And I gave an example earlier about when we were buying the motorhome. And that's mm -hmm. where it comes down to. So if it's a practical thing, I am going to respect his views. I'm also going to honor him. Yeah, I'm going to honor him. I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to put him down for disagreeing with me. Yeah, because he is my husband and I'm to honor him, especially in front of other people. I think is huge of, you know, Absolutely. you may, you may behind closed doors be disagreeing about something, you know, and you can't seem to come to a consensus. But when, when you're out with people, with family, whatever, I, I mean, I think it's like the most disrespectful thing to your husband to, to say something, well, he thinks this, but I think that, um, I think it's good to just be kind of unified and respectful and, um, in front of other people, like, it's just not the time. I agree, Ashley, so strongly with what you've said there. And men, it is, that is so hurtful for men. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes them feel horrible. Oh, yeah. And I made, I made a commitment years and years ago. It probably was about the first year of our marriage because I did say something. I think it was in front of my husband's parents and he was crushed. Yeah. And talking to him and realizing what it did to him and i made a commitment to never criticize him to anyone mm -hmm. even with marriage problems i uh, well we don't have very many 
it, but if I do have a marriage problem and I need advice, I don't go talk to all my buddies. I might talk to a one mentor of mine, an older mm -hmm. woman. I just, I want to be respectful and honor him. I think you touched on a good point is being respectful isn't just when you're in his company. You know, being respectful is also when you're with others in, in what you say. And thankfully, I have a great group of friends and I haven't really seen this, but I've heard stories of, you know, Christian group of friends getting together and it turns into husband bashing. Um, and that's just because he's not there, you know, isn't disrespectful or it is disrespectful, you know, to to talk about your husband in a way, you know that kind of tears him down in front of other people. So, I mean, I've, I'm really thankful that I don't have friends that do that. We're always very respectful of each other, you know, try to be respectful when we talk, if we do talk about our husbands, it's in a, you know, a kind way and, you know, an occasional, what would you do in this situation, but not, you know, not a way where it's um, tearing down his character. Right. Um, in front of people that he knows too, you know, so I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, it's so important. I, I'm just going to say for men, that is so important. It, me it actually means so much to them when your husband, when you honor him in those ways. But I was just going to make one more comment. I, I mentioned this book I'm reading called Choosing the Good Portion a mm -hmm. couple weeks ago. And one of the stories is about a missionary couple and they had like seven kids. Um, they lived in a country in Africa, I can't remember which one, and they were, I mean, practically in poverty. They had like nothing. And um, anyways, it's the daughter who's writing the story about her parents. And one of the things she says is, you know, my mother never said an unkind word about my father to us children. And I don't have kids yet, but I know you do, Colleen, and I know that's huge as well, where you don't, you know, turn to your kids and say this or that, you know, about, about dad or, you know, about your husband. Um, and what a, what a good witness that is to your kids about marriage, you know, and what marriage should be. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I do not ever, my, my children are supposed to honor and respect their father. That does not encourage honor and respect if I go and say, boy, your dad's being such a jerk today or, you know, whatever it is. But I do see a lot of people doing that. And I will never forget, I was probably about 16 and my sister and I were in the car with my mom and my sister and I were saying some bad things about my dad. And my mom is this very quiet like she never raised her voice at us or rarely and, and stuff like that. She pulled over the car and she said to us, don't you ever disrespect your father. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so like, if mom said that, it is, that's like huge. And, but that also influenced me so greatly that my mom was saying, that is my husband. Don't you do that. Yeah, I'd love to hear some more questions, Colleen, from the group. Okay, so this is a, I'm not even sure how to answer this one, but it is an interesting one. Women desiring being dominant. What does it come from? How do we resist the temptation to step into the role? How do we share the wisdom of proper roles for women and men to non-Christians? And first of all, I would say, I don't think that, okay, so... This, this desire to rule over your husband, now that that is sinful, but a woman having maybe a strong personality is not necessarily sinful. It's whether or not that she points that in the right direction. I right. I mean, in, in, Genesis, in Genesis, God says that we will have that desire, you know? He, and there's some debate on that. Um, right. What exactly that means. Okay. But yeah. yeah. So from my understanding of it, Colleen, but in, in Genesis, when, um, when it says your desire will be for your husband, um, it's not talking about like sexual desire. It's talking about your desire will be to rule over your husband. And, I, and this is my understanding of it. In our, in our sinfulness, we want to 
we want to disobey God's command to submit and we want to be in charge. And in man's sinfulness, they want to disobey God's command to lead and be passive and lazy. Or they want to lead with an iron fist. Right. So there's kind of, you know, different sides of that there. And so can you, what's the question again to make sure I'm answering it? Because I'm going to go off Women on a tangent. desiring being dominant, where does it come from? How do we resist the temptation to step into the role? How do we share the wisdom of proper roles for women and men to non-Christians? Well, that, there's a lot there. Let's there's a lot not there. answer the last part. Right. But, you know, I say it comes from us being totally depraved. You know, um, mm -hmm. we, we, in all things, we want to, we say, okay, God, I know that's, we don't always consciously say this, but we say, God, I know that that's your desire for me, but I want to do the exact opposite. And so the exact opposite of submission is, you know, be in charge. You know, there's a, there's a line from, from a movie. I actually love this movie, but I totally disagree with this line where it's um, my big fat Greek wedding. Have you seen that? Yes. Where, you know, she says, <laughs> it's pretty funny. She says, the husband is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head whichever way <laughs> she wants, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But in a way, that's subverting, you know, his his uh, role to lead. It's being manipulative, being, you know, to get your way. Oh, I'm letting it's him. It's not submissive. It's not submissive, as funny as it is. Um, so, yeah, that would be my answer. Where does it come from? It just comes from our sinfulness, you know, to, right. to go against God's order for things. And I think sometimes us women are very clever. And so we do, we can be manipulative of our husbands and that is not okay. Mm -hmm. That is not okay. I mean, I am tempted to do it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it is sinful when I do. Well, Ashley, there's, there's so much under this. We're going to have to revisit this because we have so many more questions and one thing that we need to talk about is what is appropriate for a woman in the church. I have a guest idea to talk about that. And there's so, so many other things that we're going to have to address. So I'm thinking in a few weeks, maybe we do part two. Sure. Of complementarianism. Cause there's I feel just, like this is going to be like a five part. Yes. <laughs> Theology gals, complementarianism part 42. So <laughs> let's, let's kind of like summarize. So, I mean, we just kind of did an overview of complementarianism yeah. where and what it isn't what it is and what it isn't so we think that men and women um, were created with different roles in mind and we're created differently we're different but we are equal in value and we think it is right and it is good for men to lead in their home lovingly as Christ loved the church and for women to submit and so that's I mean that's what complementarianism was initially and if that's what the word still means, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what we are. But uh, it doesn't always mean that way. And so maybe we'll get a little more into thin complementarianism in another episode um, and a little more into the different kind of camps um, that we kind yeah. of brush over. But I think that's a great I think that's a great idea. Well, we're going to go to a commercial and we're going to come back and do our exciting question of the week. Can't wait <laughs> to hear who your favorite artist is. So we'll be right back. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. So, Ashley, do you, have you thought about our question of the week? And I have everyone I asked who is your favorite secular 
And who is your favorite Christian? Who is your favorite artist or band? So I'll be honest and say 95% of Christian music I cannot listen to. I'm, I'm very picky. A lot of it doesn't have good lyrics, and even some of the stuff that does have good lyrics just doesn't sound good. I think that's changing. I've, I've heard some good stuff recently, but my favorite, like hands down, no questions asked, is Dustin Kinsrew. He was in a band I used to listen to like in middle school and stuff called Thrice, and now he does some solo stuff. He He's just... He has like a really good sound, really good lyrics. He has an album called Please Come Home. And it's kind of a mix of like overtly Christian and just kind of like poetry. And it's not, you know, it's not like a hymn or anything. It's, but it, his, his song, Please Come Home, he's singing from the perspective of God to the prodigal son. And it's like, it brings tears to my eyes every time I listen to it. Like it's, it's just a really beautiful song. So that's my favorite Christian artist. It's really hard to nail down who my favorite secular artist is. Cause I, I have a lot of favorites. Can I, can I do a list? Yeah. I'll absolutely. do a list. Okay. So in terms of classic rock, Led Zeppelin, um, I also really like Pink Floyd, but in terms of modern music, okay, here we go. Andrew Bird, uh, the Abbott Brothers, Beach House, Beirut. Uh, I have a couple others. Brand New was like my favorite when I was in high school. I like the Cold War Kids. Um, I like Glenn Hansard a lot. Um, and I really like Josh Ritter, uh, Modest Mouse. You're going to have to stop me at some point here. The National. I love The National. And I think I had one more. Are you looking at your Spotify list? I'm totally looking at my Spotify. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sufjan Stevens. Love Sufjan Stevens. He's been one of my favorites since high school. Oh, yeah. And I love you, too. And also The Tallest Man on Earth. I've seen, I think of all of those I've listed, I've already seen them all live, except for Modest Mouse. I haven't seen Modest Mouse yet. So Wow. Yeah, I'm a connoisseur of, of music. So mostly indie, you know, stuff like that. All right. What's yours? I love music. I love music, but this is where I feel a little old because most, no, not most, but a lot of what I, I'm very, very picky though. And a lot of what I listen to now is not newer stuff. And Christian, that's that's really hard for me. I don't listen. I just don't listen to any of the new Christian music. I was uh, maybe I'll just tell you my favorite Christian band from high school. So, my favorite Christian band from high school. This is a shout out to my friend Joy because we would go to every concert. Was a band called Crumbacher. They're not my favorite anymore, but they were my favorite in Christian. My favorite Christian band in high school, and and I'm trying to think who else. <laughs> I am more apt to listen to King's College Choir. <laughs> I, I do love the hymns and music that's based in scripture. So I do have a lot of that from different. I, I really love, okay, actually, probably one of my, if I'm going to listen to a Christian artist, I love this Messianic Jew named Marty Getz. And I love him because almost all his music is straight scripture. Hmm. So, and my father was a convert from Judaism, but he does not in a messianic Jewish congregation. My favorite secular, this is not hard. I love this person so much. He is a French Canadian and almost all his music is in French. And his name is um, Bruno Pelletier and probably not even saying it right because I'm not French, but he is by far my absolute favorite, favorite artist. And he, oh, I should say, I like musicals a lot. And so he was kind of well known for a musical called Notre Dame de Paris, which is basically the hunchback of Notre Dame. Hmm. And so in the late nineties, he was really well known for that. And I love, love, love musicals. So, but he does more than just that before, you know, he does all kinds of different stuff. I just, Absolutely love him. So Well, we have very different tastes in music, Colleen. Well, I don't know if we totally do. I think some of the stuff we might be similar. When I was, I actually, 
so I've, it does change when you get older. I mean, I, when I was in high school, I listened to a lot of punk. I, you know, and, and also stuff like you too. I love mm -hmm. that. So okay. I do love like the um, clash, like the clash. And yes, I love um, the clash. I listened to in high school, REM, Midnight Oil. Okay. Um, Smiths. Tears for Fears? Mm, Tears for Fears is a little okay. I yeah. mean, that was like when I was in elementary school. So, so I don't know if all of our, if all of our music tastes would You know what off. I'm going to do? I'm going to make you a playlist of all of my favorite modern I would, music. I would totally listen to and totally I want, listen. I want you to find a couple of the artists that I really like that you actually like too. Okay. I think I forgot to mention Neutral Milk Hotel and Fleet Foxes. If any of our listeners are Nutramilk Hotel fans, I would just die because no one's ever heard of them and I love them. I've seen them twice and they're amazing. So You know what? We should mention we have a Theology Gals playlist on Spotify mm -hmm. and it is just Christian music and sometimes we have to go in there and Thank, thank you to Abby who keeps keeps watch. But if you see something on there and think, what? Those theology gals? It's set up mm -hmm. so anyone can add stuff. And sometimes Abby has to go in there and say, yeah, that's not theologically good, and take yeah. things off because anyone. Can <laughs> <add it>. so, <laughs> but if you're, you can listen to our theology gals playlist. I think there's some different hymns and some of the more modern praise music, or like more theologically sound praise music. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I think you should pick our question of the week this week because yeah, I, picked I actually had one in mind. So since we were talking about secular and Christian music, I was thinking about podcasts that you listen to. I listen oh. to like 20 or 30 different podcasts. I just I think that's a great one. Whenever so I'm driving, I have a do you listen to Christian so and secular? One. Okay. I think that's I, I have some secular ones that are really good um, and obviously a lot of Christian ones that are good, but mm -hmm. Pick one. I know I kind of picked like 15 artists, so that was. Yeah, I think we can, on the podcast, really fair. we can pick a few. Okay. We should, we should do that because it's too hard to just pick one. Yeah. I mean, if I have to pick one, I know which one I'll pick, but I'd rather pick five. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, how about your top five favorite podcasts? Okay. And they can be Christian or secular. Right. Okay. I think that's I think that's a great idea. That's a great question of the week. And we want to hear yours too. Maybe you will introduce us to some podcasts that we haven't listened to. Yeah. And we would love that. I just heard of a new one just this morning. Hmm. So always always looking for new ones. I, I tend to listen to my same old ones all the time, but I will check out new ones sometimes. So well, thank you so much for joining us. I want to remind you that you can find everything Theology Gals on BibleThumpingWingnet.com. Click on Theology Gals. You'll see all of our podcasts and blogs. And on each of the podcast episodes, you will see all of our information. You can email us at TheologyGals at gmail.com. If you have questions on complementarianism, we'd love for you to call us and leave us a voicemail. And that number is on our, on this podcast. And or to, you can text that number or email us. You know, any questions you have for the next episode, we would love to hear them. We'll get to some of the ones that from the group then also. And angry and, letters. We'd love, yes. we'd love angry oh, yeah. letters too. Please tell us what, what we did wrong, what we did we right. We promise to read at least one angry letter yeah. on the next Complimentarian podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then also, if we could really use some support just a few expenses that we have and you can find a link to our patreon or just look up theology gals at patreon so thank you guys so much for joining us and we will see you next week <laughs>